My name is Brent. I can't tell you my last name or where I live. Believe me, I wish I could. I'd like nothing more than to be able to tell you my name is Brent Jones, or Williams, or Vasquez, or Brown, or Anderson, or McCain. Brent McCain. That's kind of a nice sound, doesn't it? But McCain's not my last name. I'm not even going to swear to you that Brent is my first name. See, I'm hoping to podcast a while longer. I'm not going to make it any easier for the Yerks to find me. Welcome to Fandlights, the podcast where myself and Jenna read and discuss the Animorphs books in order. This week we're doing book five of The Predator, in which Axe wants to go home, Axe being Axe Eskarauth Isthil, the Andalite teenager that they rescued from the sunken dome ship in book four of The Message. The gang comes up with a plan to fake a Yerk distress call and steal him a bug ship. Uh, Marco and Jake take Axe to the mall radio shack to acquire components, where his morphed sense of taste overwhelms him and he makes a scene in the food court. They end up having to escape mall cops by morphing into lobsters, which is sort of a weird tableau, uh, and are almost cooked for dinner. Axe then reveals the distress call won't work without a Z-space transponder, which he adorably assumes they have on Earth. The Animorphs steal one from Chapman's basement, comms room, by morphing ants and almost getting destroyed by full-on ant war. Once they successfully send out a distress call, it turns out that, whoops, Axe is using an old frequency and Visser 3 captures them and takes them to the Yerk mothership. They manage to escape because Visser 1, who by the way is Marco's fucking dead mom, wants to make Visser 3 look bad and springs them. So yeah, Marco's fucking dead mom is Visser 1's host. Such That is such a good twist. Like, that's such a fucking good twist. Right? Yeah, and I mean, we had discussed that before rereading them, so I it was on pins and needles waiting for it to happen, because I couldn't remember when they revealed it. For some reason, I thought it was way later. Yeah, same. I didn't remember it happening this soon. Yeah, and but I mean, like, there it is. In Marco's first book, his first POV book, there it is. It's really interesting, I think, that they, they have that whole thought speech exchange between him and jake who also recognizes marco's mom yeah and jake really sort of becomes human for once Hmm. Hmm. i mean in the in the previous books you know he's always just really like he his best option for rachel uh rather than morph in public (laughs) was to just get abducted just get kidnapped Yeah, yeah just get kidnapped yeah and at this point he's actually like being nice and understanding which is sort of an interesting change, but I guess it underscores how close a relationship he and Marco have always had. Yeah, he was a bit a bit more sympathetic to this than he was, even for, like, Rachel's concern for her friend, um, Melissa? Wait, what was her name? Yeah, Melissa Chapman. Melissa. Uh, yeah, even even kind of icy about that uh, in, in that sort of chill leadership sort of style, but... Much more I- I- empathic about this. I-, I I also thought it was really interesting that they had that secret conversation. Yeah. And that Marco asked him not to tell anybody that Visor One is his mom, which seems like a pretty, pretty fucking serious thing not to tell the rest. Well, I mean, you can understand why, though. He doesn't want all of them to think about that every time they look at him. 
Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. I think that's in keeping with Marco's character as being sort of a proud uh, person who doesn't want to be looked down upon or pitied for, for his pretty rough life situation. Uh, but also, uh, also, they're like fighting a war, and that's a pretty... That's a pretty serious thing not to tell everybody because you know it's going to affect the way he's acting on missions. Right. I guess, I mean, Jake knows and he's, in theory, their tactical decision maker. So hmm. it's not as bad as it could be. There's maybe a, like a gender roles discussion to be had here about the respect that Jake has for Marco's emotional health as opposed to his complete lack of regard for... Rachel's bodily safety, both in expecting her to get abducted and drinking her blood without permission as a oh. as a flea. That's um yeah, that's such a weird callback. Like that's such a weird thing to drop several books later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's I don't even know how to respond to that. I remember reading that and just being like. I mean, we've established that K.A. is definitely hitting the food-eating-things angle really hard throughout all these books as a, as a constant source of horror. Uh, but boy, oh, was that over the line. Yeah, and he's, I mean, his reaction or his, his callback to it is, oh, no, it's cool related. It's like, no, that's, 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 that makes it weirder, dude. That's so much weirder. It's so much weirder. I'm trying to think, like, in order of Animorphs for him to have drank their blood, which is the weirdest order. And Rachel is maybe at the top of that list. She's not at the bottom. Tobias might be weirder because he's a hawk, maybe. Um, maybe. Or maybe he's the least weird because he's no longer completely human. Maybe. I'm trying to figure out where Cassie is on that list because they're like, uh, as established now, dating. I mean, don't kink shame Jake and Cassie. They do whatever well, they're into behind closed doors. See, that's exactly the thing. Is is it weirder because they're dating or is it less weird because they're dating? No, I think that would be, she would be the least weird for sure because they're dating. Yeah. Okay. I think that makes sense. I, I feel like she'd probably be cool with it. Like, you know, animals is animals. Uh, but <laughs> you'll, you'll notice he did. I don't. I mean, I wonder, does Rachel know? I mean, she must have, right? She probably felt it. Do you think that she knew what a flea bite feels like or that she was paying attention to that necessarily when she's uh... trying desperately not to get noticed by Chapman and the Visser? Yeah, probably not. I mean, she didn't mention it in the book, so... Yeah, I I Ooh. don't think... Mm. Yeah, that's just another layer of weird transgression that happened in that book. Yeah. Well, this, it, it's like riffing off the, uh, the food and eating horror angle. This is the first mm. one where she, Kay Applegate, sort of introduces comedy based on that same riff. With Axe, of course, acquiring a mouth. For the first time when his uh, weird combined DNA human morph that he's somehow integrated clothing into. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, let's segue to talk about the clothing integration because we're going to loop back to talk about the food thing. Because okay. that's like a lot of the notes I made about this book are the <laughs> fucking weird ass food shit. But the yeah, that's sort of a weird throwaway. Like K.A. mentions it and then just sort of hustles us along so we can't think about it too much. But like... They specifically say Axe has 
integrated morphable clothing into his human morph. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a single line, and then they just move past it with, I think they just say, oh yeah, he did it somehow, we're not really sure. Yeah, it's very hand-wavy. And I appreciate that K.A. doesn't want to write a book series where a bunch of teenagers wander around nude because uh, their morphs didn't allow for clothing. I appreciate wanting to circumnavigate uh, that weirdness, but it's sort of, it, it raises a lot of questions about other morph stuff. I mean, even in the same book here, they they do the lobster morphs, and then before somebody buys them, their claws get rubber banded. Right. Those rubber bands are definitely tight enough to count as morph clothing. So like, the next time that they turn into lobsters, if ever, are they just going to show up with banded claws? That's a great question. That's a great question. Yeah, because the, the explicit definition of clothes that are morphable are skin tight. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of those rubber bands is that they're supposed to keep the claws tightly closed. Quote unquote skin tight, even though the dudes seem to get a pass for t-shirts. Yeah, of course. Again, you just don't want, you don't want teens running around naked in your book. It's not that kind of book. Like They make unitards in, in teenage boy sizes, I'm pretty sure. Probably. I'm picturing the, a very 70s style um, unitard that dips really low in the front so you can see the abs, but also comes down to like their knees. I Yeah, I'm picturing the Animorphs basically looking like a dance team or yeah. figure skating team. It's Animorphs on ice. Yeah. I mean, Marco says they need to get costumes, and that's true. He is absolutely 100% correct about that. <laughs> yeah, so that was sort of a weird... I mean, that seems like something that could be exploited in weird ways, like, I don't really know how, even. I don't know how. But it it raises more questions about where that matter goes when they morph. Like, does Axe's DNA just have, like, spandex in it now? There's... I mean, why not? It's got memories and shit, apparently. Sure, sure. We just shove anything into a double helix and call it a day. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Who knows what the the double helix can hold? I'm going to I'm going to cut KA Applegate a little slack on her description of this because none of the people that are POV for these books have a real great understanding of morphine technology or how it works. Even yeah. Axe, he's like a kid. So Yeah, and what a kid. <laughs> that was a that a, it, it, there were a couple moments in this book where I was like, Axe is being like a weird baby. Like, oh, when Marco calls him out for having not ever fought a Taxon or a Horkbajer, and he like stamps his hoof and is like, no, I've never fought anything. That was so weirdly, that was such a teenager thing to do. Yeah, it was perfect. And, and right after he does the whole like, oh, warriors shouldn't have fear. Yeah, yeah, he's clearly has this sort of put upon idea about like honor and battle, but he's also just as clearly never done shit. I thought that, again, a very like teenage perspective. I'm still curious. I don't know if they ever explain it, but more than ever, I am real intensely curious about why Axe was on this Andalite warship. Mm. Like they just brought a teenager with them for kicks. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense, it, it, especially because they are, as we discussed last time, there doesn't seem to have been other people or other teenagers on that ship that weren't part of the battle. Right. It's weird that they brought their blue centaur Wesley Crusher with them. <sighs> and I mean, he's about as 
endearing as Wesley Crusher, in my opinion. As an adult, I get as a teen, I loved Axe, but as an adult, he wears a little thin. Yeah, his whole food obsession really relegates him at this point to irritating mascot from 80s cartoon. Yeah, or or like any Disney movie where the main character has to have like a a funny, clumsy animal friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get that in Axe. It's a weird, it's such, it feels like a very 90s trope. So let's talk about Axe's eating comedy. Let's, let's segue <laughs> back into that. And how, uh, when they're at the mall, there's, I could almost hear the like racing home music from Ferris Bueller's Day Off playing <laughs> when he just kept wandering away from them in the middle of the mall <laughs> and like getting coffee and just destroying the food court, which, shout out to Cinnabon, official sponsor of Andalites, the series, Cinnabon. (laughs) Eat Cinnabon. Yeah, I was so amused that this book mentions Starbucks and then says the coffee place because it was written in a time when I was, I guess Starbucks wasn't ubiquitous? I was not aware of it. Uh, And in fact, when I read that in the re-release... I flagged that to go check later in my original copy because I thought there's no way that the scene originally was Starbucks. It had to be like Gloria Jean's coffee bean or something. <laughs> and it was Starbucks? It was absolutely Starbucks. Mm, that's funny. Yeah, I I didn't realize that Kay Applegate was going to pull that one out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, she got she got some references right. Some references didn't need to be updated and that was one of them. Speaking of references that did need to be updated, there are two changes that I found in the re-release. Oh. On page 30, when they're just going into the mall and they're... Which, by the way, the mall radio shack, I get that it's, like, integral to the entire plot of the book, but if you're updating cultural references, Jesus Christ, radio shack, come on. (laughs) In a mall. Yeah, it's not as exciting as just placing an order on Newegg. Yeah, fair enough. So... They say, like, oh, yeah, we need to go to Radio Shack. In the original, they say, or, like, Circuit City. Okay. In the re-release, it was changed to, quote, the computer place, unquote, which seems pretty safe. Although, reading it in 2017, the only places, computer places I can think of that would be likely to be in a mall are the Microsoft Store or the Apple Store. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe a Babbage's that might have some relevant cables. I thought Babbage's all got like bought out. Oh, did they? That seems likely. You know I how I thought long they all got bought out and eventually just consolidated under GameStop or something. Mm. That's very possible. But yeah, the whole the whole Radio Shack it was mildly amusing to me throughout the whole thing. It's the second time that they've called out that Radio Shack is in the small, which I, I thought was, it was good that uh, Kay Applegate, she must have planned this ahead of time because that was one of the stores that Tobias listed off when he was doing his cannonball run through the mall. Oh, that's a good catch. And I remember thinking at the time, it's really strange that they have a Radio Shack in their mall. Ah, yeah, I don't remember be- Radio Shack being in malls. Like, I remember it just being a standalone store. Yeah, I remember it primarily being in strip malls. Yeah, yeah. That might be an artifact of where we grew up, though. Yeah, that's possible. We didn't grow up in Virginia? Still looking like Virginia to me. Okay. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot in this that I think would have changed that perspective. Uh, And then the other thing that changed was page 99. Uh, Marco was talking about what he and Jake were sort of idly chit-chatting about while they walked back from Cassie's. And in the original, one of the things that they talk about is whether they've got either of them has purchased any new CDs lately. In the re-release, they change it to albums. So... 
What? It's That's... a it's a solid change. Yeah, it, my it, first instinct is that that's a step back, but I guess albums ha- means just any collection of songs, any curated collection of songs. Yeah, if they'd said LPs, it would be implying <laughs> vinyl. I get why yeah. your mind might go to vinyl, but... Yeah. Okay, so not as exciting as last week, but some solid changes. Yeah, no... no I, the VCR thing, I don't think you can top. No. I mean, who knows? How many more re-releases are there? I think, did they just make it to seven? I thought they made it to eight, but I'll let you know for sure, because that's when they'll stop being available in Kindle format. There we go. All right. We'll have a a place marker at that point. So yeah, Axe in the mall, just losing his shit, tasting things. He's never morphed anything with a mouth before, I guess. I guess. I guess. You know, that's a good point. Maybe on their planet, mouths weren't a thing. So none of their animals had mouths. I feel like in further books, they definitely explore this a little more. Okay. But it occurred to me while Axe was sort of losing his shit, Visser 3, the only Andalite controller, has an obsession with eating people. And I wonder if that is not somehow sublimated from his host losing its Andalite shit at how great mouths are whenever he morphs. God, Brent, that's fucking brilliant. Because that's, yeah, that has been a thing. Like, Visser 3, clearly obsessed with, like, eating just anything it can eat, whether it's yurks or humans or andalites or these anamorphs, that has been a reoccurring issue. He's never like, just kill these fuckers. He's like, I am going to eat these fuckers. Yeah, I'm going to wrap my mouth around them and get their good tastes. <laughs> that's crazy. I think that's exactly right, though. Well, uh, I, okay, I think I'll say, I think that's a really good in-story in justification. I think what's actually happening is... Uh, I think I think what it is is KA Applegate wanted to focus on our most animalistic instincts as a as a source of horror and I think those animalistic instincts are eating and a fucking <laughs> <laughs> and I do not think that this young adult series could have focused on the the fucking bit just Tobias and that red-tailed hawk yeah, just the the lingering stormy glen. I mean, you know, he didn't admit to eating roadkill for a while, so I don't know how many how many months it's going to take for him to admit to indulging in hawk mating rituals. You think it's going to come out that he took that red-tailed hawk to Poundtown? Shit, I I don't want to think about it. That is, we're so deep into fanfic territory right God, now. We really I'm are. worried we'll never resurface into the canon. Mm, I just, I don't think. I think he's got too much of a flame for Rachel. I don't think uh, he'd cheat on her with a hawk. <laughs> I know they're I not mean, dating, but... How would she ever find out? No, I... Well, if his no, girlfriend, like if his hawk girlfriend wasn't immediately killed, maybe they'd talk sometime. Oh, fuck. Or, or, or he'd come around with some eggs and be like, uh, we really have to care for these eggs, but we can't talk about why. <laughs> <laughs> Planned Parenthood doesn't take hawks. No. <laughs> It barely takes humans anymore. Oh, but um, bum bum. Uh, but I think that's a really keen point about Vizzer's weird food obsession. I guess that's. I mean, it's everywhere in all of these books, but this book was especially food horror heavy. Yeah. Uh, with the fact that they almost got boiled for mm-hmm. dinner. That's a weird one. The fact that they are bitten apart by ants. Oh God. Oh God. Th- yeah. 
that is, and I didn't realize it was in this book, but that is the scene from these books that has stuck with me, like since I read them originally. Mm. After I've forgotten everything else about these books, I will still think about that scene where he's in the shower and finds the fucking ant head still clinging <sighs> desperately to his back because it was trying to bite him in half. It's the most chilling thing, I think, that K.A. Applegate has written in the entire series. Yeah, it's such a brief moment, but like the the whole the whole kind of extended scene where they're getting bitten apart and dismembered and are just trying to drag their bodies out to a place where they can morph. Right, they have to morph up from under the ground, like yeah. exploding out of it like zombies. It's insane. It's a fucking whack sequence. And the fact that, yeah, he doesn't realize that there's just a dismembered ant head clinging to his body until he showers. This will be the second time that Marco was almost bitten in half. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, from the, the sharks previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, ugh, yeah, and that, that level of trauma hasn't really affected any of the others. I mean, a lot of again, mental, emotional trauma, but nobody else has been quite so physically damaged, I don't think. I think they they might have been in this sequence with the ants. Yeah, oh yeah. I guess the, the ant battle was a, a, uh, an equalizer for the whole group. Yeah, it was full on In terms of war. physical tra- trauma, yeah. Yeah, the whole, the whole ant sequence was really interesting to me because of that, the sort of, I mean, every time they morph and they experience this new set of emotions, I think it's always really interesting what K.A. is conceptualizing about these animals and the idea that turning into an ant is a, an ego killer like you no longer have a sense of self that i thought was really fascinating yeah some people take dmt some people turn to ants <laughs> i mean pick your poison ant poison so the 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 yeah that whole sequence and the fact that that affected them i thought was really interesting it's maybe the one of the few non-food or eating or being eaten related parts of horror in this book and maybe in the series so far it directly leads to rachel being sort of the most open i think that she's been with her feelings so far she's so traumatized by this that she just flips out and starts a fight with this girl in the cafeteria Mm. Mm. and marco intervenes and then they have this sort of little moment afterwards where she just tells him that she genuinely appreciates that he's always there to make light and that they need that yeah i thought that was that was a great moment it seems a marked departure from the sort of gung-ho cartoon warrior that front that rachel tries to put on and i think also a departure for for marco and their relationship in general which has always been sort of sort of friendly antagonistic um, it, uh, hard to read sometimes whether or not there's some genuine antagonism there or if it's just sort of a, a friendly sort of situation uh, really bordering on that line but yeah. this was such a nice I mean s- kind of sad moment because uh, obviously it's coming from a place of uh, pretty severe emotional trauma but probably probably PTSD like probably actually PTSD well they're all having terrifying nightmares that keep them yeah. from sleeping so yeah i'm pretty sure now i'm not a psychologist but <laughs> armchair diagnosis is that they've probably all got a little bit of of that at this point yeah from being dismembered as ants like you do i can only imagine that their like shared trauma is going to get worse and worse as the series progresses because this is book five yeah it's only book five that's crazy it's book five marco has been bitten in half twice they've almost died in every book 
they've every accomplished book. basically nothing except rescuing Axe and Hecate. Yeah, and that one. Wait, wasn't there another dude? Oh, right, in the woods. They kept him from getting dragged. Not a great total. Still, yeah, yeah, three out of five. Goodness. Yeah, and this is maybe, maybe one of their nicest plans to date. Like one of their most well-developed plans, even though it's still not a very well-developed plan. Yeah, I mean, like, they've got the initial part down pretty much, other than Axe adorably assuming that humans have Z-space technology (laughs) of any sort. Uh, But the the initial part, like, you know, fake a distress call, jump the the crew of the bug ship that comes down to investigate and steal it, that's relatively solid, especially compared to a lot of the plans, the the quote-unquote plans that they have floated so far. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot better than turn into fish and get in the ship, maybe, and then do something, <laughs> which right. is maybe their worst plan to date. <laughs> that one is pretty uniquely terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this one had potential. I mean, it kind of goes off the rails after they actually get the bug ship, because, like, do those have FTL technology? How long does it yeah. take Axe to get back to the Andalite planet in that? Is he going to have any food? What's even... Does he know how to fly a Yerk ship? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of big questions there. And Axe has been sort of hot and cold with his abilities. Like, he seems to have some sort of technical abilities to be able to create this this uh, communication device from Earth materials, more or less from scratch. From a very uh, primitive sort of flair. <laughs> fucking the, yeah the the gert moff and the fleer that he's <laughs> able to pick up at radio shack god damn i love that sci-fi jargon bullshit i mean he has he has he has some skill and maybe that's a skill all andalites have maybe they can all create yerk decoy communications although that seems unlikely but also at other times he seems to be just just a dope yeah. Just just a just a little bit of a dweeb. Well, he is a teenager and That's fair. he is a teenager with apparently an interest in electronics. So, yeah. and a teenager who thinks that it is appropriate to exclaim things like warriors have no fear. <laughs> yeah. The greater the danger, the greater the honor. <laughs> yeah. So, I think maybe he was raised by the Andalite equivalent of Call of Duty. <laughs> he does seem like the, yeah, he does seem to be, he seems to be like the Andalite equivalent of a teenage nerd. Just yeah. like obsessed with battle, but absolutely no experience and really good at technology, but doesn't play very much attention in class because it's not very interesting to him. So really, a really middle of the road, a very, a very relatable character. Unlike Marco, who apparently does pay attention in class because he knows yeah. the speed of light off the top of his head. And that's adorable. I thought that was a really nice sort of connection because we also, I, I can't remember if we're, we were told previously, but we do, Marco does mention that his father was an engineer and mm-hmm. really good at math and computers and science and doing all of that before uh, this pseudo tragedy uh, of his mother, quote unquote, passing away. I'm pretty sure it's a real tragedy, even though she's not technically dead. It's a different kind of tragedy than the tragedy they thought it was. True. But I thought that was an interesting connection that Marco also, uh, there was something, uh, I thought it was an interesting connection that Marco also demonstrates that sort of acumen towards math or or uh, sort of applied engineering and physics. Sciencey stuff. Yeah, sciencey stuff. To circle back to Vizier 1, 
How fucking sick is that betrayal? That's like the funniest, maybe the funniest uh, Deus Ex Machina that they've come across so far. At the same time, it is really unsurprising that nobody likes Visser 3 because he basically acts like Cobra Commander. Yeah, he's just kind of a huge asshole to apparently everybody. He definitely lucked into this position and thinks that it is because of his competence. Ha! (laughs) Yeah, he's been promoted as far as he can possibly be promoted. And I'm going to assume at least uh, 60% of that is because he somehow managed to get an Andalite body. Yeah, somehow. Which makes me intensely curious about what sort of host Visser 2 has. Because Visser Mm -hmm. 1 is a human, which is the planet they're currently trying to take over. Right. Visser 3 is an Andalite, which they haven't taken over. Yeah. What the fuck is Visser 2? Yeah, it's a great question. I can't remember if we meet Visser 2. The fact that we meet 1 and 3 seems to be propping Visser 2 up as another big reveal at some point. But I don't know how they could beat the reveal on Visser 1. It's Tom. Fuck. That would that would be a good reveal. Yeah, that would be the that would be the way they beat it. It's actually Tom. He's been masterminding this the whole time. Yeah. That could be it. Okay, or or the other uh big reveal that I think would be on par with Visor 1 is uh, if Visor 2 was Hecate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that would be a good reveal. Speaking of Hecate, I mean, this is our headcanon obviously, but I'm I'm confident saying it. So Axe is just running around out in a field. Hecate has to be f- messing with the Yerk's ability to check satellite photos. Otherwise, they would have found him by now. They know yeah. the general area that those Andalite bandits operate in. Mm-hmm. It would not be difficult to just like check out the satellite surveillance for that and see if there's a giant blue deer creature. Yeah, and it does seem weird that, I mean, they it seems like they have to have people up in there because they have cops for sure. Um, they have security, mall security workers who apparently are also armed. Paul Blart, human controller. Fuck. Say that again. <laughs> Say that again. Paul Blart, human controller. Horrible. Good. <laughs> I hope you're proud of yourself. I really am. <laughs> uh. I mean, they've got a lot of people. It seems weird to me that they wouldn't have somebody working in uh, satellites to keep an eye or that they wouldn't be using something mm-hmm. to, to be searching for the Andalite. So I think you're right. I think probably the only solution is that Hecate's counter-programming. She's really saving their bacon. Yeah, and they just don't have any idea. I mean, she, they saved her, so she is re- repaying their bacon, but uh, just an unsung hero. How lucky were they to have rescued a badass 90s computer hacker in right? the first book? Right. Uh, yeah, it's un- it's uncanny, really, how lucky they were. <laughs> uh, so one other thing I know we both wanted to talk about because it's fucking bonkers is the slightly, I think, slightly different description of Axe's body slash the Andalite form that we get in this book. That is completely incongruous with all of the cover art. Yeah, I'm just going to read this part straight up. Good. I love when you do readings. His upper body looks like a horse's neck and head, except that when he gets close enough, you see that he has two smaller human-sized arms sticking out. My note on this was, ah, what the fuck, in all caps, because that sounds like a blue fucking horse with little beefy trogdor arms sticking out of each side of the horse neck 
And then they go on to talk about like the triangle head with the eye stalks. It sounds horrifying. It's it not a centaur. It sounds so much worse. No, it's not. It's not a centaur. And that's for obviously my mental image. And also the image that's on all of the materials is like a centaur dude with no mouth. That ain't what it is. I mean, also all of the fan art. Because I went and looked. I thought, <laughs> there's no way. There is no way. I went and looked. Everybody missed this, apparently. I know I did the first time I read it. Yeah, yeah, and I I mentally flipped back through the other descriptions of the Andalites. She does mention that they've got a triangular head at other points, but what I was picturing is like really broad forehead, tiny chin, mm. and as somebody with a broad forehead, cheek area, and a tiny chin, that appealed to me, but <laughs> apparently, apparently this whole time, it was actually a triangular horse face. With little beefy arms hanging With out underneath. With little beefy arms and weird eye stalks where their ears would be. I gotta say that the description the description in this book is way more alien and upsetting yeah. than what I had assumed for my entire fucking life <laughs> that Andalites looked like based on the official materials and everyone's fan art. Yeah, and I mean, I get it. Yeah, I get it. If the people who did that art read through this description and was like, um, no, I'm not gonna draw that for this accessible children's book series. I know we, we both tried to doodle this and bad. both of us failed. Yeah, it's really bad. It's mine looks like Slurm McKenzie from Futurama. <laughs> if it were on top of a horse body. Oh my God. And it's bad. It's so bad. I did not get past attempting to draw the horse body. It turns out that's difficult. Yeah, yeah. The drawing's hard. Um, so neither of us are super artistic. If anybody wants to give this a shot and draw the horrifying Andalite described in book five, The Predator, please, please send it to us and we will give you credit and tweet it and put it on our site. Yeah, I'm desperate to get some some fucking accurate fan art for once none of this officially sponsored animorphs art that is a fucking lie oh i wanted to to chew over a particular question with you brent okay i'm hit me okay that question is what do you think if you had to get stuck if you had to get stuck in a morph what do you think the best morph to be in would be I feel like we had this question. I think we've had variants on this question, but I don't think we had this one because I, I was thinking through it and of the morphs that they've had so far, I think the hawk is probably the best. But I also think maybe just broadly speaking, the hawk is a pretty good option because it's not like if you get stuck in an elephant, that's that's it. Like you're an elephant. There's You can't live out a stealthy, normal life as an elephant. You're there. You're probably going to get put in a zoo or, or taken off somewhere because mm -hmm. you're an elephant. If you're an ant, clearly a miserable existence. <laughs> a miserable brutish and short. Yeah. I mean, maybe something like a house pet would be a little bit better because then you are hypothetically loved and taken care of by a family. But even then, you're at the whims of humans. And humans, as we all know, are horrible. Yeah, they're bad. They're bad at the bad species. So I feel like hawks might actually be a really good option. So I, I see where you're coming from, and I appreciate yeah. that. As a mammal supremacist who is weirded out by <laughs> birds and their dead doll eyes. What? Um, yeah, I, I don't... Like, okay, you've got any sort of mammal, any sort of mammal, 
you can look at them. You can kind of tell what's going on upstairs, right? They're yeah. skittish. They're scared of you, whatever. You look at a bird, you can't fucking tell. Yeah, I like that. That doesn't appeal to you? No, it does fucking not. Uh-uh. No, thank you. <laughs> so what? So you'd want to be a mammal of some kind. Of some kind, be, yeah. Uh, 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 a cat, maybe, or uh, hmm. a corgi in a beloved family. God, my... My first instinct is to say dog because I feel like they're so happy that it would really counter my sad brains pretty effectively. Uh, and if I'm stuck in an animal morph that is not able to ingest my antidepressants, it's mm-hmm. not going to be a great scene for me. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, but you have a good point about being basically completely dependent on humans. Cat would be better for just straight up survival probably, but... Yeah. I don't like to leave the house anyway. <laughs> it's it's a really hard question and not one that I think that I could decide no matter how much thought I put into it. Damn. Yeah, and I mean, I guess the whole point of getting stuck in a morph is you don't get a choice. It's something thrust upon you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, think about it. Although, I mean, at least I guess I, I could say I'd prefer not to be stuck in one of our weird hybrid battle morphs that we came uh, up with. You're wrong. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to be a god. What were any of the battle morphs we we created? A bear with human thumbs. You don't want to be that. It doesn't matter if you're if you <laughs> if you're concerned about being put in a zoo as an elephant. What the <laughs> fuck do you think is going to happen if you're a shark bear with two thumbs? I think I think you'd move into Yellowstone and be uh, the most cleverest bear around. I think you were going to be shot and stuffed and end up in a Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> the one real exhibit in a Ripley's Believe It or Not. You'll blend right in. No one will ever know. God, that's grim. That Perfectly in keeping with the grimness of these books. Oh, yeah, they are mm. grim. Jeez. Well, thanks for listening to Fandalites, uh, folks. Please read these books along with us where we're gonna have some links to the kindle versions um in the show notes if you're good at art please for the love of god draw an irl andalite like please draw a canon andalite so that we can have that that grim visage in our brains god yes send it to us fandalites at gmail.com if you have any commentary on the books or our impressions of the books Send that too, please. We'll probably read it off at some point. Yeah. Uh, find us on Twitter at Fandalites. Look at our website, Fandalites.com. If you have thoughts on the morph you'd want to get stuck on, and it's better than, I don't know, a dog maybe, uh, tweet that at us, please. Yeah, or if it's better than a hawk, because I think that's our high bar that we're going for yeah, right here. Yeah, and that's a pretty low bar. I mean, maybe. maybe. Put a thermal under it. Ah, thank you for joining us. We've been Fandalites. Thanks to Dustin O'Dell for the use of his music for our intro and outro. You can find him at dustinodell.bandcamp.com. We'll see you next time when we go over book six, The Capture. So see you folks, and remember, nostalgia is a drug. <laughs>